0: Sam was just giving me some fun
1: trivia about Humphrey Bogart here. I, I guess on the set of The African Queen, he was so drunk that the bugs in the jungle ignored him and all went for Katherine Hepburn. Now think, are you good
0: enough at anything in your life that insects ignore you? No, but that's how good Mr. Bogart was at drinking. And I think we can all aspire to that. I certainly do. Every year, 4th of July, reunions, Christmas, I try to get that
1: drunk. There has to be a certain level of skill, because it's not just, you know, <laughs> oh man, I got way too drunk last night. No, he needed to maintain the I got way too drunk last night blood alcohol for, you know, an entire, let's say, month or so that they spend in the jungle shooting that. The
0: only time I have approached that light was the first. Not even the second, because I to break it up with, like, seeing historical monuments and shit. But the first time I went to Tokyo probably the drunkest two and a half weeks of my life and I keep getting these questions about what I did and it shows such a fundamental misunderstanding of what I
1: was after I think the drunkest week that I've spent in my life was that one time that I visited you at Princeton yeah we almost died I don't know how we made it back into that room there was well we were there in the room for much of it I think there was about a seven hour span of time where I was not drunk oh <gasps> And I was there the entire week. I only really believe the
0: whole drag ball thing happened because of the photos. I forgot about that shit. They visited mm-hmm. from Philly. Yeah. So, way more intelligent topic than that this week, for once. In order to uh, sort of reset our systems after delving into the world of Komi Me San and the inability of several people to breed, partially because of external forces, partially because of their own fucking interior fuck ups, but to distance ourselves from that, we decide to return <sighs> Remember that just shining green light Hal Jordan uses to recharge himself, just that lantern battery?
1: Full Metal Alchemist is a little like that for us. Um not even a little bit like that for us. It is ex- that is a show that I sometimes watch or the manga that I sometimes go to when I need to remind myself that I actually like this.
0: Man. It's even a little more basic for me. Like, I just need to remind myself I like the concept of speculative fiction storytelling. Jesus. In terms of uh, style and trends, by the way, it's at a very interesting, specific point in that it's very into the hard magic system thing that became more of a fantasy thing as time went on.
1: What always fascinated me about... Um, the system that she came up with for Alchemy is how structured it is, how amazingly hard and structured it is, as is, you know, the case in a whole lot of mm-hmm. um, of manga, anime stuff, you know, in terms of world building. They really, they, they like rule books, right? Yeah. But it manages to be a big set of rules and only a big set of rules. Rather, like, there's no fucking power creep. That's eh. what I was trying to say. There's no fucking power creep in full Now alchemist. Alchemy is what alchemy is. It can be used to do various things, some of them large, some of them small, but never now, you know, don't you here's... think
0: it would be improved by like someone's alchemy score going up.
1: Yes, there's never that. There's never like some new fucking alchemist who's got like some fucking gimmick that they love to fucking wax poetic about. Um, for, you know, two or three episodes. Like, really long, poorly animated episodes that were not present in the manga. I see you trying to skirt around the words domain expansion right now, and it's very fun. (laughs) We'll get to that. We'll get to villains who are like that. (laughs) And the fact that I've been rereading Naruto, uh, for an upcoming episode. An upcoming series of episodes, in fact. Stay tuned. But, oh yeah, for those of you who enjoyed the, uh, Ritual execution of Legend of Korra, we... That was four episodes. This one's going to be, by my count, ten. It is going to be pretty much an entire season of this podcast, if we did in fact break them up into seasons, which I do not think that we do. Um, they are broken up into
0: seasons when I laze out of editing for some time and say, A new season of Weeaboo of Hell is starting, everyone, upon return, which happened once. Okay, so we're currently on season two right now? Yep. Good to know. Season two is, I think, 70 out of 86 episodes of Weeaboo Hell.
1: Well, it's like, you know, the one cartoon show that starts out with 12 episodes and then the next season's 50. I think uh, Steven Universe was kind of like, no, no. Star Wars is the Forces of Evil was like that. Great. I like that show. I don't care what anyone says about the ending. I like that show. I had a fun time with it. I think
0: people were very ready to reuse their favorite jokes about Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. <laughs> Where, first off, those jokes worked way better in Final Fantasy Tactics because they just had the clean link of get back in your wheelchair, Newt. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. But yeah, Sam has some advanced thoughts that he'd like to share. And then I will, I don't know, make jokes about butts or something. It's a, it's a delicate balance of power in Wii U, Hell.
1: Hiromu Arakawa's seminal manga and then anime, the second anime, not the first one. Full Mel Alchemist. Has been talked about to fucking death by everyone who has ever watched anime. I think it speaks to the strength of the material that the
0: fucking botched version was as well received as it is. True, yeah. I uh, Like someone entirely playing improvisational notes
1: over that melody. I do not have At the many... end of the day it was... Okay. Yeah, I don't have too many kind words to say about the 2003 adaptation other than, well, they got the first half right, I guess. And even, even Brotherhood, which rushed through, you know, that first half in ten episodes, made it feel less rushed if you didn't even know that yet.
0: That is a thing, that is like, a thing.
1: I remember it being so long in between the 2003 Full Metal Alchemist and when I watched Brotherhood that I didn't actually notice that they were kind of like, okay, yada, yada, yada you know, that that first, you know, Holy 20 shit. or so
0: episodes. I had finished undergrad when I watched Brotherhood. Wild.
1: Are we sure?
0: It, it I remember watching it in 2009,
1: and we were watching it live. You graduated high school in 2009. Oh, we're having a Berenstain
0: Bears moment. I'm going to trust his recollection because I drink a lot more. I don't know. In those days. In
1: those days, okay, yeah, 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 fair enough.
0: I might have been there going, I really hope that Ed can can get his
1: elbows back. <laughs> he gave up his elbows for his sister. It's very important when it comes to drinking. Denard is Barry Bonds, and I am Albert Pujols. I'm trying to, I'm trying to beat it. But yeah, onto your point here. All right, I happened to be playing Fallout New Vegas again, as I often do. Uh, I think this might have happened. This might have even come up in a previous episode that I've been doing this for the last couple of weeks. And one of the more interesting things about New Vegas is that you've got these uh, smattering of uh, like nine or ten characters or so who have like these really fascinating ideologies as they pertain to, okay, here's what the world was and here's what I think the world should now be. Right, Right. right. and
0: they all sort of tinted differently.
1: And and they're all kind of tinted differently, and they're all... None of them are entirely correct, but none of them are entirely wrong either. Uh, They they all, you know, are coming from interesting places and make, you know, interesting points about, you know, like, here are the mistakes of the old world, and here's how I'm going to, you know, like, correct those mistakes. Caesar's entire argument is just the lyrics to Welcome
0: to the Jungle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes.
1: And the, um, that whole beat, um, is what makes New Vegas as interesting to me as it is. Um, if you want a depressing version of the game's fucking story, uh,
0: make a, uh, heel courier and join Caesar's
1: Legion and just get all that ambient dialogue. Oh yeah, you can sell, uh, arcade Ganon to him. It's really fucking awful. No, like, heel heel courier working for Caesar is, like, one of the most despicable fucking human beings. Yeah. Like, worse than Caesar. I think the epilogue (laughs) says that Caesar is afraid of you. (laughs) (laughs) So, with that in mind, I was thinking about, okay, what is a show that has something kind of like what New Vegas has, where it's got a big cast of characters... Uh, that all have really well developed uh, worldviews and philosophies, and of course, the the obvious answer is Full Metal Alchemist. So that is what we're going to talk about. I I've picked out not every character. It would have been really funny from, after all this build of You just said Crayon Shin-Chan, and we just played that straight for half an hour. We could do it. I just would have needed to go back and watch Crayon Shin-Chan. A lot of sight gags. There's there's a lot of them. Um, but Full Metal Alchemist manages to have this really large cast of really interesting characters, and most of these characters have a pretty interesting worldview. Some of them better developed than others just because of screen time and, you know, their role in the story. Like, um, Alex Louise Armstrong has a moral code, certainly, but, uh, never has the most well-developed, like, outlook, I guess.
0: It is certainly not dwelled upon. I do like the one flourish that he just hasn't been promoted because he wasn't ready to go psycho and disturb. Yes, terms. no, that's awesome. That, that
1: you... that's uh, that's that's actually like really fucking cool. All those little details like yeah. that. Like he's just he's still just you know Major Armstrong because like he was not <sighs> he didn't want to fucking do it. So like this is this is where his career kind of like ended. Like they handed him his purge mask. He just stared down and said, "Why do I have to be a rooster?" Are you trying to say something? <laughs> so what I've done is I've kind of come through this series and I've come up with uh, my favorite characters in terms of, all right, here is a character who's got, who's done some thinking, right? And they have, you know, an interesting philosophy, an interesting worldview. And my idea was like, we're going to mm-hmm. talk about all those, compare these characters to one another and see which of these characters we ultimately feel like we jive with the most. Like, you and then
0: me. Fair enough, fair enough. And if your list of focus characters is different, then, sorry, we'll send you your refunds in the mail. <laughs> but that's assuming you've paid your We Hell membership dues up until now. You have been paying your dues, right? 20 bucks a month? We are gonna cut you off if you haven't. I mean, we'll let you catch up, like, send that shit in, and, you know, everything's Gucci.
1: But, like, you know, Winrar is not a free service. <laughs>
0: Do you think they just throw daggers at the word 7-zip at night?
1: <laughs> I don't know if there are any humans involved in WinRAR anymore. I, I think they you, programmed I, an AI to sort of perpetuate it and then went off and, went dip, and did different things. I know what you meant. Because you've been talking about New Vegas for half
0: an hour, I was envisioning Mr. House. But let's get into Full Metal Alchemist. All right.
1: So uh, the characters that I have uh, sort of gathered, I guess, that have you know interesting worldviews that I feel like talking about are, of course, Sulf J. Kimblee, right, who I think is probably the most interesting villain in that series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, case to be made for what? Wrath? There's a case to be made for Wrath.
0: Scar's position changes, but he
1: commands a presence, I guess. I actually forgot about envy and all this. Because it, it, Envy or Kimberly are do probably you wanna, the two best. Do you want to start there since he's not on the diagram? I spent this entire time not thinking about Envy when I really should have. He would really resent that. You'd be jealous, secretly.
0: <laughs> they, she, who knows? In terms of um small flourishes that aren't dwelled upon, I, all the homunculi have a version of that Armstrong thing, which is that father was just trying to... Per- well, he had multiple motivations, and the family thing is, I don't know, amusing or what have you, but the idea of trying to purge yourself of imperfections and creating your little gaggle of insane assholes is yes. a And Envy ends up idea. becoming this fun microcosm of that. He does, and also, I just also like that small idea that trying to put yourself through that process creates an even more insane asshole in the end.
1: Yes, no, that, that's great. Okay, so we'll talk about Envy. We're gonna add, like, this was unexpected, but we're gonna add Envy to the conversation. So, Solf J. Kimblee... The Homunculus Envy. We're going to talk about Olivier Armstrong, uh, because she ends up having a little bit more of a developed worldview than uh, her brother does. We're going to talk about Ed Elric. Uh, we're going to talk about Azumi Curtis, and we're going to talk about Greed 2. to Greed, too furious. Okay, so... Otherwise known as Greedling. I always like that nickname. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's cute.
0: Envy gets to take advantage of the medium in the character development because they get to do something that is super clumsy in text and you can just have a right there in comic format in which this person who is super into into themselves and their superiority on the inside is ugly, ugly like me.
1: Like me. The fun, very sort of efficient like storytelling thing that they do with Envy is Envy just goes on and on and on about human weakness. Yeah. Just, they, they've based, like, most of who they are as a person off of, you know, how much they despise, you know, humans and how much they disdain humans and how humans suck this, humans suck that. Look at you pathetic people doing... It reminds me a whole lot of, like, macho Spartan Punisher Cop Skull kind of... <laughs> kind of uh a kind of character with like the fucking Molon Lave sort of uh, uh you know uh, uh, bumper stickers who define I get themselves what you mean. Like, by they their enemies.
0: They have those narrative captions just describing how low these scum
1: are. Exactly. They they do not exist without this you know group of people that they so despise. Just the suck at libs type, um, because like without libs, right? Who who even are you? You, you, do, you don't really exist. You sort of exist as a, like, as a sort of um, anthropomorphized opposition, right? And Envy, very, very deep down, knows this and hates themselves about this. Or hates this about themselves and hates themselves because of this. And, of course, takes it out on, you know, their victims.
0: A very simple and efficient character and... Kind of just one of my favorite, like at least as far as the emotions are conveyed, just sort of heals in this entire series. Mm -hmm. I'm always a fan because it's such an easy thing to botch, but when you can sort of humanistically render what is essentially a fantastic concept, that is always something that's sort of impressive to me. In the bubble of fantasy and sci-fi, we spend like 70% of our time in as media consumers. I would say,
1: yeah, yeah, close to 70%. It's
0: such a simple thing, but the way this person lashes out because they just feel small on the inside all the time. My favorite just manifestation of this actually wasn't the Mustang fight. Which is a great fight. Which is a great fight, but it was actually when Ed and Ling were trapped in that void with him, and he immediately just goes, we're fucked, nothing matters, just kill each other. (laughs) (laughs) And... Maybe in my own flaws in this world, I could just appreciate that micro-catastrophizing breakdown. Oh, yeah,
1: because Ed's like, no, slow down. <laughs> 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 Nothing matters, Wolfgang. <laughs> <laughs> we, will, we will get to Ed and how much I adore him as a character, as though I have not spent a good, probably combined two hours or so on this podcast talking about how much I adore Ed as a character.
0: He's really taken up
1: your third place
0: seed behind your um, Jaegers and Asnables in this hill.
1: You might actually be the first place seed. I've just spent more time talking about the other two. <laughs> we'll see. Oh man, we're gonna like the weeaboo hell like fanboy gushing invitational. New episode idea. Okay. We'll do it at some point. But in terms of envy, there is this theme that runs through Full Metal Alchemist that is not one of the main themes, but it is a theme, which is like the sort of theme of personal inadequacy and feeling kind of incomplete, right? So mm. that is, you know... um, Ed is without his uh without his arm and leg, you know. Al is without his body, um, you know. People who are incomplete, right, or see themselves as incomplete. If you
0: haven't uh, caught on, she's very into literal
1: physical tags of these things. Exactly, and here is Envy, who is a personification of this particular theme, uh, the theme of like, I have been created incomplete. God left me unfinished, to to quote a uh, a now former YouTuber. <laughs> no, that was I think that was actually Idubs who said that.
0: Oh, uh, I that wasn't filthy.
1: Well, no, it was a filthy Frank video. It was it was oh. it was not him who delivered that line. And so you know, envy thus becomes this sort of uh, fun mouthpiece for this idea for this theme of there is something fundamentally incomplete about who i am and nothing can actually be done to fix it and or you know what has to be done to fix it is so monumental in the effort that it would take for instance like not having one's arm in real life you can you know there's prosthesis and stuff but you can never actually have your arm again yeah and so The condition that Ed and Al find themselves in, where they are without, you know, limbs and their entire body, in Al's case, uh, ends up like a kind of fun metaphor for that idea, where, like, something about me is so immensely wrong and not there and incomplete, and, like, how do you expect me to be able to find this about myself? It's not fucking there. Uh, And, you know, what am I to do except hate other people who have that, and that is what envy is. And we do learn
0: that the way to cope with that condition is not to spark an interesting civil war.
1: You probably shouldn't. I mean, nice resume packer, but not. Yeah, I drink. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's uh, it's it's not the most creative of solutions, but it's uh, been working pretty well for me so far. I sort of just drum my fingers together in the darkness,
0: just mumble the words soon.
1: That is uh, what I appreciate about envy, and what I love about envy's philosophy is how it goes fucking nowhere. Like, mm-hmm. there's, there's like, there's no catharsis attached to it. There's nothing. There's, there's nothing that resolves the actual problem there. So it ends up being a very bad philosophy. It gets him very crispy. Yes, uh, exceptionally crispy, but uh, like so crispy that he like recognizes how hollow it is at the very end of it, right? Yeah, how, yeah. like, how how much of a fucking dead end it is. uh, Like, nihilism. Uh, he's like, nope, I'll just die. Oh, man, pulling out the stone is such a... Yeah. In the dub, it's kind of silly, because, like, the really squeaky, high-pitched voice... Oh, that... wait, the little bit of Gnarm there yeah. is abusing. Yeah, Um, I like the dub for Brotherhood in general, but, like, that particular scene is a, a little bit robbed of its impact by l- the, a like... A little... Uh... A little soft ball drop, like you can he sounds like tumble. the Wicked Witch of the West getting melted. I'm <laughs> melting. <laughs> uh, so there's greed and how fun greed is in, uh, you know, in in terms of you know their outlook on life, not just how like they act and how they are, and you know how like the fun sort of like. I totally skipped over the whole shape shifting thing and how that is just like a whole fun metaphor for like I, mean, I hate myself. I hate myself. I wish I could be literally anyone else. <laughs> hopefully. Uh... Those of you with the attention
0: span to listen to a podcast fucking episode this long can stitch that one together. Yeah. But yeah, you're getting to greed. Well getting
1: off of greed. Now Kimberly ends up, I think, his philosophy, alien though it may be, is not a dead end. At least not to him, the way that uh the way that Envies is The fun that this series likes to have with him is that
0: it is at least I guess, internally complete, like his idea of what behaviors are sort of consistent in his words, elegant. Mm -hmm. He seems to like the idea of things that stick to their assigned role in the world, like doctors are meant to heal, soldiers are meant to kill, and if he sees a soldier getting weepy or a doctor pulling a Marco, that is where he gets grumbly aside from when he gets into, you know, his sort of joking
1: man business. But... There is this fantastic thread that appeared on the Civilization Reddit once where a dude basically set up the world with some mods, you know, activated. Uh, set up a world that was Earth, right? And all of the civilizations were active. You cannot do this without mods. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played as Polynesia and basically just had one unit hide in the ice caps just, like, away from everything so that he could observe the game itself but never participated in. It. And he set it up on everything on hardest difficulty uh with a gigantic like turn length kind of deal uh and just pushed and watched the world go and watched watch things progress and watched like tried to figure out who is going to be out, who is going to come out on top. Now this never actually ended up um ended up becoming complete although uh, because they're busted, it was looking like the Shoshone were ultimately <laughs> going to come out on top. Um, God. <laughs> fucking early game earthquake. Exactly. Yeah, no, like, they dominate the early game and they could, like, clean up in the late game, too. Uh, I remember Portugal and England got in- eliminated extremely early. Maybe F the Celts do. F. No, not the Celts. Uh, Japan did not make it either. None of this matters. I'm getting off- I'm getting uh, off track here. The point is that this would be catnip to Solve Jake Kimbley. Everything in its place, everything fulfilling its role, and let's see how this all goes. Let's see how this goes down. He is interested, and he says it out loud, like, I want to see what fucking happens when, you know, The world order that we have lived under for, you know, this amount of time changes when the homunculi, who have honestly been in control this entire time. So it's like, "Mm, is anything actually changing? And then you can go into that whole thing, right? I want to see what happens when, you know, father and the homunculi have their way. And I want to see if they can even. I want to see, like, your best up against our best, or really not our, but their best. And, you know, here's me, you know, just having a ball this entire time. Oh, man, what's that um, Weird Al song, This Is The Life? Exactly. Uh, it's, uh, if money can't buy happiness, I guess I'll have to rent it.
0: It's kind of a inversion of the Ling-Greed relationship and just him getting subsumed into pride and how... I mean, obviously, it's just a text-level comment on here is someone who's basically looking down on the entire human experience. Of, of, of course, he gets subsumed. Plot-text level, I do enjoy how thoroughly and critically that dicks
1: Mr. Pride over, but... Mm-hmm. but <laughs> that was fun, yes. One thing that I always thought was... You're behaving was... Inelegantly. <laughs> One thing that I always thought was fascinating with Kimblee was that how amazingly... How much time he seems to have been thinking, I mean, he had no shortage of it, um, about the taking of life. Mm-hmm. He is not, you know, Barry the Chopper, who just kind of takes life, really, without thinking about Barry it. Barry the Chopper is pretty much just a B-roll of horrorcore lyrics on loop. Yeah. He is actually very, like, deliberate about it. You know, he he knows exactly what it is, exactly what it means, exactly what he is taking from people, you know, exactly what his place in and all of this. And, you know, he gives, you know, in the backstory, Hawkeye, the best advice that she ever receives. You know, never forget the people you kill because they will never forget you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it gives her a better respect for the work that she does. She's a sniper, right? Yeah. She's, like, she's done having illusions about what she does after he talks to her, and I I always really like that a whole lot. And uh, he has no illusions about what he does. He just, you know, the difference between the two of them is that he's not really doing it in service of anything other than, you know, like, his own sort of, like, wouldn't it be fun if we did this kind of deal, right? You know, when you lay it all out like this...
0: I am just really impressed that he is not a terrible fucking character. Like, I can see in my head Jared Leto's
1: Kimbley. He even kind of fucking looks like him, too. Right? Like, it was years and years and years before Suicide Squad. And even
0: a little of Jared Leto's Kimbley leaked into the 2003 anime. It's
1: fascinating, actually, how that happened.
0: And I guess there's a very fine line when, I don't know, you just sort of enter with this character who read, like, the first half of a Nietzsche book. (laughs) And how you render that and what is sympathetic and non-sympathetic about them. And I guess it's her consciousness of that sort of, to borrow the TV tropes thing, obviously there is a black and white morality thing at work where he is very much in black, but... In terms of the logic behind it, she takes time to establish that sort of blue and orange thing where she's essentially just sort of working on an alien system of codes. It's like whenever you are in any kind of civics or social science context and you have the guy who has read Leviathan back to front and thinks he's on to something. It's always a weird conversation because you're not really arguing from the same set of moral or logical priors on what fucking society is and why you're in it. Yeah. And that's kind of what conversations with him become like.
1: Leviathan well, was Hobbes, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's my Kimblee point, I guess. The tiger philosopher. <laughs> I think my favorite moment with Kimblee. Um, and, you know, like, the, the, there's the fun one where, you know, he's subsumed into, you know, pride and ends up damaging pride as a result. That's a fun one. It's a lot of people's favorite. My favorite is just a three minute long scene that he has with Winry where he drives her back from Briggs down to the train station in the village below. And he just tells her about how he knew her parents and how he respected them immensely and how she should be proud of them. And then he wishes her well and sends her on her way. And it's this, you know, this character that you've sort of come to know as this, you know, psychotic, maybe slightly joking man type sort of, there is something about him that is not just you know um We're i really don't have want tryouts. yeah i don't want to use joking man as a shorthand here there's something about him that is not just um driven by psychotic urges it's it's actually one of the best one of the best cues you get that he is absolutely not driven by psychotic urges there is like gears there inside of him that turn, right? That have, like, that have rules. Not so much rules, but, you know, that have, um... There are things that he actually believes. Yeah. And that is what makes him as interesting a villain as it does, is because if he didn't believe anything, or he believed actively in nothing, that wouldn't have been as interesting as, uh... who he actually ends up being, which is the sort of... weirdly, you know not lawful evil, exactly, character, but, like, a character who is, um... I don't know, how would you describe it? I mean,
0: I mentioned the orange and blue thing because he's basically someone with an internally sort of coherent idea of what is okay Um, to do. There
1: is a belief system there, I guess.
0: And it is moving
1: diagonally (laughs) with our vertical line of morality here. (laughs) Um... And that, yeah, no, that is why he's so fucking fascinating to watch. Why he's so interesting to watch. Um, oh, that's the first geom- geometric moral metaphor I've made in my life. <laughs> the first of many, perhaps. Mm. All right. I think I want to go into Ed next. Uh, I think I want to save Zoom and Curtis for last because she ends up. Um, we'll talk about Curtis. I want to talk about Ed, and I specifically want to talk about this thing that is not. a whole lot of noise is never made about Uh, but I've mentioned it before even on this show, which is the fact that Ed does not kill anyone in this series, not once. In a series that is, you know, like a lot of people die in this show, right? Both incidental and named characters. This series is never really shy about killing people and this series is never shy about the good guys killing people. Ed refuses to do it. Just out and out. I remember being
0: amused at the number of because normally when you sort of get the sort of horrorcore character, they never really do much of their thing on screen. The number of incidental kills Barry got to... I remember he got to just lop off.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like a whole bunch of like, oh, God, why? Like, I
0: don't we don't know, didn't do anything. I don't know what it is in her contract. just said like, okay, if there's no arterial spray, it doesn't count.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's still shown in.
0: Though I guess they have a... Their own, like, internal system on how violence is rendered, but that's a whole other topic. The FCC episode of Weeaboo Hell. Um, Okay, so you want to talk about Ed never killing?
1: I want to talk about Ed and his sort of, like, no-kill policy. He even, like... There's the case of, like, the mannequin soldiers, but he doesn't even manage to affect them at all. (laughs) He tries to disrupt them. It doesn't work. And he refuses, you know, he refuses to even uh, kill, like, that slicer guy and his brother. Uh, so, the, like, he does great, he, he does a whole lot of work sort of being a fun opposite to Kimblee, right, in this regard. He has this whole thing where he seems to hold, hold in great respect not people who take life, but people who give life. Uh, which is sort of what unlocked the brilliance of um, that scene that he has with Winry and Scar, Um Oh yeah, yeah, like trying to trying to um, where he's like, your don't, hands aren't for like, this. do not fucking do this to yourself. This is not like, this is not what you are meant to be. This is like you're going to regret this for fucking ever. And like at the time, if you do
0: this, you'll become Winry X. You'll have a an image comic series in the '90s.
1: <laughs> it's gonna be poorly remembered. Sean Baby is gonna make fun of it. <laughs> <laughs> Today on One Nine Hundred Hot Dog. So this scene actually unlocks a part of Ed's philosophy that, you know, I think is probably the most interesting about it, right? Is that he has seen the other side. He has seen how little is there. He's seen that there is a dude who taunts you there. And that's basically it. And then he'll probably send you to hell or something like that. We're not entirely sure. The The only thing that we know is that, like, what you have here, right, counts a whole fucking lot. If I could, uh...
0: I have a really weird interpretive frame for this one that you might be amused by. Okay. I want to take you back to the PS2 era mentally. PS2, PS3. Okay. I'm going somewhere of this. As far as renditions of struggling with the gods or an uncaring or cruel universe, like you know there is a central intelligence that is a dickhole and is fucking with you. Mm-hmm. Ed is weirdly within the same narrative structure as kratos and goes to a i knew you were about to talk about kratos (laughs) in a stupid place like and that's kind of a funny way to look at it Mm -hmm. mostly because they also had thoughts on other topics when making Mm -hmm. it but there's an interesting thing in drama especially genre drama where you can just get a lot of momentum on actually looking at something unexamined because there are a lot of heroes that you know just refuse to kill or don't kill
1: because it's wrong
0: because it it, you know like just flatly because because it's it's wrong. wrong And I'm I kind of like the distance that Full Metal Alchemist gets out of the fact that okay you won't kill, and they actually ask the two important questions that make it interesting. Why don't you particularly kill, and how hard does that make your life? It makes many very specific things for him much harder and sometimes even easier. It also examines that angle like when it comes to those chimera things. They're like, yeah, oh, this guy like, isn't oh, a dick is, sandwich. This is
1: the guy who didn't kill us. <laughs> Maybe we can sit down and listen to him for a second. Like, he's proved that he's not a psychotic asshole like everyone else who's ever fucking written my checks. Yeah. And I guess I
0: just do like that it has second-order consequences for that stuff. Yeah. Which is just something that... Even some good stuff just skips over.
1: What I appreciate about it is that he sort of has this sort of... What would you call it? Like... He never really moralizes that much, but you sort of get the sense that he thinks that killing is for people who haven't thought of a better solution and that there usually is one. Like, and he usually is the one to sort of come up with that solution. Like, killing is for people who haven't seen the shit that he has seen, who do not have the really, um... Pretty deep appreciation for life and death and, you know, sort of their place in the whole grand scheme of things, as he does. And we will talk more about that when we get to Izumi. I mean, he's someone who's
0: sort of in the weird place of knowing, and it's why I keep thinking about the dumb Kratos thing, but knowing that his world's god is an immense dickhole who thinks
1: this is very funny. Who thinks that this is funny that humans, like, like <laughs> you fucking idiots... <laughs> And the things I, that you fucking do in the service of, like, your stupid bullshit.
0: And I like the idea of a property, and I guess that's why I'm just a fanboy of this of this shit, but, like, your central protagonist knows this, maintains as a line, and it is realistically difficult as Scar dribbles your head against the concrete. Exactly,
1: yeah. And this is during an era. Right. This is during an era of shonen where some of the most popular of you know shonen heroes are defined by I have to kill this guy right here. Right. Um, Sasuke, for instance, from Naruto, defined um, early. I, I guess before you know, Itachi finally dies, halfway or two thirds of the way through, I can't remember. That was still the most contrived. Whatever. Go on. We'll get to that in a, in a coming episode. Okay. I can promise you. You know, sort of like defined by, okay. you know, <laughs> I'm going to kill this guy. Um, there are others, right? Like the people defined by revenge. Fucking uh, guts to yes. name someone from a good series um, defined, you know, by his quest for revenge against uh, against uh, Griffith. And ultimately, like the series ends with him abandoning that quest, which I think is it's a really fantastic way to end it.
0: Oh yeah, guts basically deciding to live. Guts is
1: like, no, there's no like, there's no fucking happy ending to this story. If I keep being this way, I like, I'm done. I'm done. He's awful. He's an awful fucking asshole. And I like, I I I will never fucking like win in life. Keep continuing to feel like this, right? This is, yeah, it's good. It's uh, it's really good. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I'm um, add that to
0: the Weibu Hell um, Hot Take pile. We enjoy um, Berserk. You might have heard of it. It's uh, <laughs> it, uh
1: it it was good.
0: It had its charms. <laughs> it, had, it had
1: like it had one or two qualities about it that uh, that I enjoyed. So, yeah, in this era, right where you know, oh fucking Kenshiro. Who, like, never fucking flinches away from the idea of blowing someone's fucking head up. Fucking meme body count on that one. <laughs> just, there's been... There, there's this entire fucking... Not just the era. Not, it's not just an era. There's this entire pedigree of, you know, Shonen and and heroes who blow people the fuck up or chop them the fuck up or are looking to chop someone the fuck up. Someone mm-hmm. in particular. And here's this character who is not defined by his pacifism the way a character like I guess technically Batman is or um I don't know Josuke no Aang yeah Yeah. Aang Josuke characters who like their pacifism is a very important part of uh, like a central thing in to who they are um with Ed much less noise is made about it, but it is still very important to who he is because it informs... Yeah, it is on an interesting wavelength, though. That's a good point. Like, it informs because that he is a very solutions-driven character, yeah. Um, and he does not think of death as a solution. He thinks of death as, like, basically just, if you are killing someone, it is because you have failed to come up with a better answer. Yeah. And so I I like that. And it kind of speaks to his whole, like, not insufferable genius kind of deal, but sort of, like, do-it-right kind of thing that he's got going on, because he knows what wrong looks like. He's seen all too well what wrong looks like. The character does
0: take on, just directly on the question of, well, then what do you do? Yeah. Which is often a difficult part in writing about this topic. When you, I mean, if you're an opposite of the killer, but kill, but if you love that shit, then you can just garth ennis bumped past that in 45 seconds but uh-huh. i do appreciate that about it
1: moving on from ed we've got general olivier louise armstrong who has got this at the outset right her whole philosophy is survival of the fittest right you know if you're mm, a lot not... of
0: amusing posing around that uh
1: if you are not you know she
0: has a lot of fun just drawing her little rosie the river exactly
1: <laughs> If you are not, you know, able to survive at Briggs, then you will die at Briggs. That sort of thing. And she makes a lot of noise about that. And then just as much time is spent driving home just how everything she does, she does for the men. Or for her men, specifically.
0: It's a very amusing, specific refraction of the sort of humanist heart behind this whole thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you have this author very into the idea of these things that people, given the chance, do do for each other at times. Things that make humans worthwhile. And then she wants to make, like, a face-hard-ass character. And it leads to this very singularly, I think, just very fun. I'm talking about it like a gag, but that's a personality disorder. <laughs> it's well, I like more just like... How this kind of human thing survives in the frozen doomed asshole of the world? Well, I want to the situ- in these pressure cooker situations can someone essentially trying to be a human in this war
1: machine, which I think is an interesting idea. What I what I liked about it, or what I wanted to do, is sort of um, compare her a little bit against Kimberly, right? Who's all about okay. So here is this strong thing, and here is that strong thing, and what will happen if they go up against each other? Who will win? And that is ultimately what he finds the most interesting, right? That's that's at the core of like what why he's doing what he does because that because he's just fascinated by like ultimately internet shit fights <laughs> about whether Darth Vader could beat Wolverine or not. Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, Kimbley's death battle. Um, I find myself on Team Vader. Vader versus who in this case? Wolverine.
0: Just fling him up, but yeah, just, um, TK is such a game changer. Whatever, go yeah, on.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like you know. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> <laughs> then there's Olivier Armstrong, who's not about your strong, but more about our strong. Like yours, like <laughs> I sound like I'm having a fucking stroke. Uh, Armstrong's about <laughs> our. St- Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not editing this out. The, the idea being that, you know, together, right? Mm-hmm. As, a, as a unit, you know, like, you are the strongest, and so are all of your colleagues, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. And together, we are now the strongest. Um, Because ultimately, in the frozen asshole of the world, we have only each other to look out for one another. Uh, And I, I like that philosophy a whole lot. Like, she demands everything of her men, right? But she can promise more than really anyone else can um, because of, you know, the effort that they put in and the sacrifices that they make. I finally
0: found um, the grown-up words for the idea I was trying to get earlier. Sure. The ground that she essentially shares with Mustang is, like, this this whole franchise has this humanist heart and how well can that thread survive in a fascist state? Mm Mm-hmm. And those two are kind of like two sort of angles on that. Yeah. Because they're two people who are all about their men, what they can do for their men, what they can do for people. And still grow up in this context. And still have like the marks of it on their character. And they and and one of them struggles with that and the other will go to a grave of that unexamined. But, uh... <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what's fascinating about but it speaks Mustang... But show's... Hmm? What's fascinating about Mustang is that he his ultimate goal is to get sent to the fucking galas for what he did yeah right um whereas you know olivier's goal is to do as right by as many people as she can as is possible given you know like the state of the world yeah Uh, and when literally the first opportunity that she is given to change the state of the world she takes it without a fucking second's hesitation yeah (laughs) uh and that that is what i find so admirable about her character you got to see which members of the cast of Valkyrie each of them were. Mm-hmm. One of them ended, even ended up, well, not with an eye patch, but blind. Yeah. Which, you yeah. know. I feel like if she was involved
0: with that, then after that bomb failed, like she would just be hitting Hitler with a chair.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the chair just, just, she pulls out her fucking gun. Like, <laughs> fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> Looks a lot more inglorious in that version. That is something that... Yeah, no, I... I fucking love Olivier. And she has, like, this... The one place where you can sort of tell that this was written in, um... Frankly, by a character who is not from the United States in the era before Ferguson. Um... Mm-hmm. Is the character of General Miles within, uh, Armstrong's Briggs Brigade. Who's, right. like... Who's, like, kind of, you know, like... Well... They did absolutely massacre my people, uh, unapologetically. No, no one was dead. No one ever answered for it at all. But you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe I can prove to them there is definitely a gap in conventions. Well, a, a, a little bit of one. Um, I think that is perhaps that, and I think the 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 Sekuhara gags that occasionally show up in uh in Full Metal Alchemist, and they're not too frequent, but they do show up are probably the the points about the series that age probably the worst. I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the Sekihara gags, actually. That one character who kind of shows up towards the end of the series, who becomes, like, the new viewer after Radley, um, just casually engages in it, and he's, like, it's kind of thought of as, like, this hilarious <laughs> thing oh, about... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, M- yeah. Yeah, mustache, mustache guy.
0: yeah, yeah. That end, I guess there was the one automail engineer who has a sort of camp thing going. Oh, yeah,
1: mm optics not fantastic Um,
0: optics indeed but uh
1: nothing is ever flawless so (laughs) see that's the whole like we have to be fair about this kind of kind of thing where like the miles character in retrospect does not work as particularly well the miles thing is interesting when it comes to full metal alchemists and
0: race it's so i think focused on maybe more we could call the basic broad strokes issues that we sometimes forget in terms of where we put our Amnesty International type of attention mm-hmm. of genocide bad, systemic ghettoization bad, that I guess this figure who is, the things that are wrong with him are not a privilege for a society to be contending with because it's still just a shit thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But... Her concerns are so much more on just the broad. Maybe we don't have to purge wide groups of people for no reason. Maybe we don't need to invade entire parts of the world for no. I swear, why is it Bush in the Hague? God, what the fuck is this bullshit? Why is this man dying of natural causes? On Un- purely philosophical grounds, yes. Uh, I mean, Madame Le Guillotine calls for cowboy blood. <laughs> hi this is a weeaboo hell it's a politically neutral podcast where I say things that can't be taken against me in future publishings
1: the secret service can fuck off right now (laughs) (laughs) go away go on I'm in a fucking one bedroom apartment with no like what the fuck do you what the fuck are you expecting me to be able to do
0: it's just me here with all this yellow cake uranium
1: you mean like seven hundred dollars of booze yeah I'm not fucking throwing that. I spent way too much fucking money on it. We were all very sad
0: when Colin Powell died.
1: Devastated. Okay, we can, we, before we bury ourselves here, Bob Dole thought things that Bob Dole should have probably uh, packed a T-shirt. It's a little bit hot down here.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Toasty. All right, moving on from
0: from Olivier and the issue with with Miles doesn't age well because it's, it's got that not that model minority, but was well, just like... sort
1: of like, well, the co- <laughs> I was beaten by the cops and then I became one.
0: Yeah, there we go. There it is.
1: There it is. Miles yeah, is it, Eric Adams. Miles.
0: <laughs> 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 <sighs> Probably less embezzling. you <laughs> imagine,
1: I don't know what there is to embezzle in breaks. Raw Philosopher's stone material. <sighs> Okay. Okay. All right. So, with that, uh, we're going to move on to the character of greed, and I want to take it back to my favorite scene from Vinland Saga. So discrimination. Yeah. All yeah. Right. We're gonna talk about that scene because it's fucking amazing, and I cannot get over it even like two years after I've seen it.
0: All right. So you know, there's a manga called Vinland Saga, which you should have put your
1: filthy pawns on it if you've listen to half an hour of an anime podcast it's uh it is a show about the futility of violence ultimately uh and there is a wonderful scene uh which i have described on this podcast i'm thinking uh maybe i can't remember you have what. i i have where uh this sad boy priest who has lost his faith because of all the horrors he's seen uh you're just being alive in that time period just being, it's, it's, it's not a good time uh, it's just really a bad time and it's only going to get worse because I'm pretty sure this precedes the Black Death. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it takes place in a time uh, a couple of centuries before the Black Death. You know, boy, so oh fucking boy. The first time someone coughs, you're just going to get that
0: hair standing on your neck. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he... Unlike now when someone coughs, is positive.
1: You have, you know the young Prince Canute mourning the death of his surrogate father. The topic of love comes up and this priest points to a dead body on the ground and says, that is actually love. Anything that humans feel towards one another is just a form of discrimination where you're where the target of your discrimination is everyone except the people that you, you know, have quote unquote love for. Yeah. But here is this, here is this body on the ground, face down in the dirt, you know, ready to feed the animals, return to the earth, and anyone who wants something from his corpse can have it freely. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to stop them. This this is the purest form of selflessness right here. Uh, and, and so here we have Greed, who on the other end of the spectrum is thinking, yeah, but like, to what fucking end? <laughs>
0: Greed is... A very just simple well rendered flip of expectations where it just basically ties a type of positive greed to what it means is to like and enjoy people
1: like and enjoy to want things so it people. is it is in fact a good thing to want things it drives you forward in life to want you know and it could be it doesn't even have to be like money or material things like greed in the way that it he is. describes it is a want for happiness, for love, for other people to and have, you know, something, for, go go ahead, you have something And it sort to of cycles back to that
0: idea that the dwarf has made itself just more of a crazy asshole by trying to cut out these broad chunks of the human experience. Exactly, yeah. Which is interesting, um... Rereading Full Metal Alchemist was actually interesting this week because I was looking at the greed thing because I figured either we were talking about him or you were just wasting my fucking time. And <laughs> <laughs> it, there's an interesting overlap with two different quality levels because I'm about to dunk, dump on something and because I'm that guy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I read Dr. Stone on a plane ride where I, I was on that plane for like two days or some shit.
1: Was this back from Japan?
0: Yeah. yeah. And I remember being annoyed by what is fundamentally the same argument but how you phrase it sometimes just is everything but there's a character in ryu sui who the whole premise of dr stone is that like the world ended people are preserved people are brought back in such and such order mm-hmm. and they have hit also, the point did
1: it actually end it really just paused, paused. yeah okay yeah, yeah
0: the world uh, the world skipped scene
1: they started and the, in, in the in the uh, the great inconveniencing of human civilization. In the interim, they started building airstrips on women's heads.
0: <laughs> so, but the point about this whole you character is that th- there's this world between their eyes where there's... he draws women weird. They look like fish. <laughs> <laughs> Bug-eyedness aside, we have this world where like. The ills of capital and have been reintroduced, and they have been sort of fighting this one guy over that topic, right? Mm-hmm. And that part's actually interesting. But circumstances come where do we bring back this one young industrialist who's the greediest person on earth? And they do, and there's some positive results. And it's like every page, he just says like the line, like you know, as the world's greediest person, I want this or that, and like I tried my friends, or whatever. And it's that same positive greed idea. Which is why I was thinking about it while I was reading Fomal Alchemist*, mm-hmm. and it really helps in uh, exploring this idea of positive greed—that he's not fucking annoying.
1: <laughs> well, that's like that's the thing with shonen sometimes is that instead of actually having a character with a nuanced and well-developed worldview, they will have a character. Who like has attached themselves to one particular concept, right? Yes, and they will exa- wax poetic about that thing far long past the point where it beca- stops being interesting.
0: Yes, because the guy's like this whole just eternal gag of just saying, "I desire this." Yeah, and I'm the, are you are, are you a Furby? <laughs> are, are you all preloaded dialogue? What's wrong with you? And I guess all characters are Furbies in a way, but is it a good Furby? Or is it like one of those first line ones? There, there were no good Furbies. Do they still make Furbies? I kind of want to get you one for Christmas now, but... I
1: really fucking hope they don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just want to uh, reiterate that if you own an NFT right now... What you own is a Furby,
1: except it is not yours. I'm going to fucking screen cap it. I'm going to fucking screen... I'm going to find you. I'm going to find your NFT. I'm going to screen cap it. and going to tell everyone that it's mine. I desire your Furby, and I'm going to right-click it. <laughs>
0: I'll save it. I'm moving across some point here. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is that I enjoy the execution of greed. And they remember to layer in some initial ambiguity, to layer in some charm... Which is important.
1: Well, he doesn't ever stay, like, absolutely like I greed. He <laughs> The fun thing is that he does actually say that sometimes, right? He will, yeah. you know, like remind people of who he is and what he's about, but he never uh he always ends up to be a little bit more multifaceted than that. A because he's competing with Ling a lot of the time, right? Yeah. Who's got this whole like, nah, you're fucking wrong, dude, kinda kinda deal to him, and who's influence ultimately evolves his worldview right, right. Uh, and even even before his worldview becomes that evolved he he's not stupid he's not rigid or anything like that he just sort of knows who he is he's like yeah greed can be a really good thing greed is what makes you want better things in life either for yourself or for others greed is what you know is your drive to protect something you want that thing to survive. You want that thing that cannot defend itself to survive and you want to protect it. Right? It's like, he he lays out a pretty good case for, you know, like how um love, right, can in fact be selfish and this is not a necessarily a bad thing.
0: Right. And like, it's what makes him in the, like, originally one of the only homunculi of
1: the stones to break off. Exactly. Yeah. It's because, like, um I don't know, it's sort of like he thinks his way out of the sort of, like, trap of father's you know sort of um what would you call it uh stagnation yeah. like how, how like how amazingly like stagnant father's um mode of thinking and his particular philosophy is which is just simple. like i am better than humans and that's kind of like where it begins and ends yeah and like we we see you know that expressed in envy as we were discussing earlier envy sort of a double
0: beat with pride towards the end yeah god double be too much dan harmon in my fucking dna <laughs> i
1: don't was this something on one of his podcasts or something?
0: There's also a Rick and Morty jokes. So I could just go and kill myself after this, too, but... I'll do it. <laughs> I will not kill myself after this podcast. I am 80% psychologically stable, and my disorders go in other directions.
1: I am... Okay, so... We were talking about fandoms earlier today, because the inimitable Anne Rice passed away a couple days ago. Yeah. Uh, and she quite famously basically told anyone if you write any fan fictions about my shit i'm fucking coming for you in the night which i love that i love everything about that
0: that's great she's like a dc lord of order
1: (laughs) anyway as far as fandoms go i'm pretty certain that the person who invented nfts was a member of the rick and morty fandom (laughs) i can almost fucking guarantee you that those two things overlapped would you like a dark glimpse of the future? No, no, I've gotten enough of those lately. We're moving on. Hype.
0: <laughs> you know, what? I'm just gonna let that that punchline, like a butterfly, just float away into the ether.
1: That's good. Good. Learn to let go of things. It's uh, it, it, it's helpful. That is not my strongest skill. I've well, got a lot of
0: greed and discrimination.
1: Well, not now. You've got it. Now you've got something to work on. I guess we're gonna talk about Izumi Curtis because we're coming towards the end here. And Izumi Curtis. Um, spoiler alert is a cipher for Hiromu Arakawa. That is what Uh, uh, I finally figured out. I have
0: a bad habit on this podcast where sometimes I will make a um, mock, dumbfounded expression as a joke intended as content for this podcast that (laughs) conveys nothing. Unfortunately, you can only hear us. You cannot see us. You cannot see the brilliant physical comedy that underpins everything we do.
1: I, I grew up watching cartoons and so, like, I, in a sort of monkey-see, monkey-do kind of way, I, I often sort of over, um, what would you call it, over-emote sometimes in real <laughs> life in ways that weird people out. <laughs> because I'm just like, I don't know, man, like, my my role model growing up was Bugs Bunny. <laughs> Look, man, he's just communicating in a very cow-and-chicken
0: manner, as normal people do. <laughs>
1: they do, but Izumi Curtis. <laughs> Izumi Curtis is a site for Hiromu Arakawa, and I came to understand that once I watched Silver Spoon, mm-hmm. and then went on to read Silver Spoon once the anime uh, what, wrapped up. I believe that uh, Silver Spoon itself has reached its conclusion. I have not read said conclusion yet. Arakawa, just for context, grew up on a farm in Hokkaido. And farming in Hokkaido is a very different thing than farming in, um, like, the United States, like the mm-hmm. Midwest, where you've got, like, these gigantic fucking mega farms, right? Right. Uh, you have family farms in Hokkaido uh, that exist on this fucking margin that is so goddamn tiny that one har- bad harvest or one bad year will fucking destroy everything for you. Um, She has thus this really fucking deep appreciation for you could call it like the cycle of I don't know, like I don't want to say the circle of life, but sort of like the grand order of things. I mean, there are some
0: basic universal ideas in this in this world. You don't I don't think you need to be too ashamed that that's that's part of this whole yeah. thing. It's part of her whole thing. She has an appreciation <laughs> for basically rural domesticity that she appreciates it as much as like Tolkien appreciates broadswords.
1: Yes. uh fair enough. Yeah she has a, uh, a this appreciation for the for the grand order of things and our very small yet important place in them and how you know sort of what is like the, the, the most important couple of words that are said in this series is like all is one and one is all right all is the world and one is me um i am the world the world is me i am part of this it is part of me right that is at the very center of what Full Metal Alchemist is about, and ultimately what Silver Spoon is about. It's basically the same series when you strip away all the, you know, like, uh, when you strip away everything but it's Bones. Uh, It's Bones, the, uh, Silver Spoon and Full Metal Alchemist are basically the same show. Um, yeah. they, they are all just about that concept right there, like, sort of like finding your place in the grand order of things. Uh, not so much in a fatalistic way, but a, in a sort of, like, you need to sort of appreciate the way that the world works, because it is heuristic of you to assume that, like, you are outside of it.
0: Very well observed. I have a dumb point for you. Sure. Out of all anime podcasts, mm-hmm. that is going to be the smartest sentence with the morphemes Fate Grand Order in it. No! <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, on to your actual point. um, Yeah, and I guess a lot of these things, a lot of the core conflicts internally and broadly are just based on misunderstandings or mis- imbalances in this idea of one being all or all being one. Like, the entire envy, pride thing is this disdain or rejection of things outside yourself as if there is nothing of yourself.
1: I mean, why do you think it? she's always introducing herself as just a just a housewife all the time? It is an expression of humbleness, right? It is. Yeah. She is the opposite of father and his hubris right no no i'm not anything i'm just a housewife that's it the series is full of people who make these heuristic mistakes because they think that like you know they have found a hack right Mm -hmm. and she you know having been that way once herself has learned no there isn't one uh, and it is sort of folly to think that there is now. You can change things, yes, but you cannot think of yourself as above them because once you do, you're heading towards tragedy. Yeah. Um, and so, thus, she's not some grand alchemist, right? Even though she is, she's a housewife. Uh, it's also no mistake that um, that her husband is a butcher and that she works in a butcher's in a butcher shop. This is like another sort of expression she's- of the, you know. Arakawa has this really interesting relationship with uh, eating meat. Uh, she is mm. not a vegetarian, but she has thought very, very hard about you know what it means to ethically consume meat. Right. Um, and you see, you see a lot of that in how the island stuff plays out, and how the island stuff plays out, and how the um how again Silver Spoon. Once you read Silver Spoon, uh, it actually makes uh, Full Metal Alchemist better, um, cool. because you've got uh, the protagonist of Silver Spoon. Sort of having to develop this philosophy that she has about eating meat from scratch, is that you need to fucking respect the thing that you have killed so that you can live, um, right? And that you do not necessarily even in this day and age need to consume in order to live. You owe like you owe it now that much more respect, um, and so that is like kind of what the character Um, Leif Hachikin is his name has to like develop from the ground up. You know, when he, you know, there's this great arc where he has to raise a pig from a piglet and this pig is then slaughtered and then turned into bacon. Um, It's a really great arc. Anyway, the fact that, you know, Sig is a butcher, right? And that, you know, she works with him uh, in the butcher shop is something of a, you know, kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge towards like, or rather just a literal, you know, part of the metaphor, like a physical part of the metaphor of what her character is and what is at the center of her character, which is, like, it is a cycle, and you have to have respect for it. I respect for it, I respect for your place, and it. I... I would
0: say that is very well put. Mm-hmm. And you have redeemed us from Fate Grand Order. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't fucking notice myself saying that. It's... It's the hideous thing about how my fucking brain works. <laughs> as far as the construction and placement of characters and mentors go one comparison can be made to Yoda. Okay. And how Yoda embodies like, you know, the interconnectedness of things, how big things are, small things, small things are, that things. none of that matters. Mm-hmm. He, he embodies that. And that same, and he's like this humble figure. In the same way, she's like a humble figure who embodies this sort of wholeness and wheel idea.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's just an interesting comparison. I don't have like a three-page paper on how or why that is. Whether that's even an a intentional or subconscious citation or a non-citation at all, but it's an interesting overlap at least.
1: One moment of hers that I really like a whole lot was when she never is more upset at the boys as she is when she learns that they attempted human transmutation. Mm -hmm. Right. And she then basically says you two are expelled. And it's her kind of fun way of saying you graduate, you, you understand now (laughs) I
0: hope you enjoyed the bottom of the human experience. Here's your diploma. Here's
1: your diploma. <laughs> kind of like and gives you like kind of a kick on the butt on the way out the door.
0: <laughs> oh man. Uh real educators were so involved. Mhm.
1: Uh it's grumble grumble gripe gripe. <laughs> actually thinking through all of this has actually given me like a, a greater appreciation for Azumi Curtis than I have had, you know, up until now. I might we watch uh, all of Full Metal Alchemist in a little bit once I'm done rereading all of Naruto. Oh, oh my uh, god.
0: I think... Do you, do you want to do the the pregnancy announcement? Is this our gender reveal party for...
1: Well, we've been alluding
0: day. to it this entire time. Alright, everyone. So, you know, we talked about some of our favorite stuff recently and Komi-san. <laughs> and it is to set our psychological table for a project that I am super excited for and hate myself for ever suggesting. I think it was my idea. I hate myself for co-signing. I'm like a I'm like Himmler here. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) As a sort of companion to what we call the Koriad we had our core as we tried to break down what happened why is it like this what could be the could anything have been done and it's just fun to look directly at individual parts instead of sort of a broad sweep. Mm Mm-hmm. We are dividing up the whole manga run of Naruto into I don't know how many parts. It's going to be, I believe,
1: ten parts.
0: Ten parts, I think that's 70 chapters apiece. Yes, it
1: is a 700 and something chapter long manga. Got to complete its run unlike Bleach, in which we would
0: just have to talk about it dying on the vine at one point.
1: Oh no, if we did this for Bleach, it would literally just be jokes at Bleach's expense for about six or seven episodes.
0: Which is fun, but there might be another gear here. We'll see how it comes out.
1: I, the, but my, yeah, we are going to. The idea is that we do a history of Naruto rather than just spend ten episodes dunking on it. That's yeah,
0: not my intention. The rise and fall of the Narutoian Empire. In fact, afterwards, I might even take all those files and like, I don't know. Sometimes like they're little isolated hardcore history tracks that are searchable on their own. I might try to do that too. We'll see. Okay, let's say. But we are going to do a history of. The rise and zombification of Naruto. Because it has
1: never actually fallen. We've still got Boruto happening. and But it's more of a Lich King kind of situation. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would say so. And I think that's
0: going to be a lot of fun. So before we do that, to remind myself I even like Shonen action, here we are talking about Full Metal Alchemist. The best one. Off the top of my head. And yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. All right. Anyway, this is Weeaboo Hell. And it is Weeaboo Hell. Bob Dole is toasty. <laughs> Should we look into Webtoons? There might just be Webtoons out there that are great. I don't even know. Oh. Maybe that, sometime.
1: Was that the uh Was that the Fauci-Augie on that side or that side? Oh. Well, what was the bigger needle? Okay, that was the Fauci ouchie. Ah, uh, okay. Um, okay, so... <sighs>